BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos, in for Mina Kim. Coming up, we'll chat with John Paul Brammer, the self-described Chicano Carrie Bradshaw, who joins us to talk about his new memoir, Hola Papi, How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons. His essays explore coming of age, coming out, and finding love. But first, Ben Protus of The New York Times joins us to explain the criminal charges New York prosecutors brought yesterday against the Trump Organization. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos, and for Mina Kim. New York prosecutors charged the Trump Organization and its chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, yesterday with running a 15-year tax fraud scheme. The charges arose from an ongoing multi-year investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney and the New York Attorney General into off-the-books payments made to Weisselberg and other Trump Organization employees. We're going to talk about the latest developments and what's next with Ben Protest. He's investigative reporter at The New York Times. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So can we start broad here? Describe these 15 criminal charges. Um, This is, uh, I guess as indictments go, a relatively short (laughs) piece of work, about 25 pages, right? Right. And it does have a sweeping amount of charges, though. And so, you know, it it basically centers on a scheme that reaches back to 2005 um, and involves a scheme to defraud. It involves tax fraud. uh, It involves an Alan Weisberg's part, grand larceny. And essentially what they were doing is, um, you know, hiding the income from the federal government and from the state that they should have been reporting as income, um, you know, that for perks, we're talking Mercedes Benz's, we're talking private school tuition, uh, we're even talking apartments, rent-free apartments. And so essentially what you have is uh, this effort to hide that from the tax authorities, um, but enjoying all the benefits uh, of these luxury perks in their home lives. 
So is that a benefit to Weisselberg? I mean, is there a benefit to the corporation itself? Like, what would be the reason that a business or executives would do something like this from, I know, you've been talking to a lot of tax experts. Yeah, it's a great question. So there is obviously a benefit to Alan Weisberg because he doesn't have to uh, pay the what should have been income taxes on on the actual perks and benefits that he received. But there's also a benefit to the company because um, there there are payroll taxes that should have been paid on these items. So if we believe the government's charges as they stand, um, you know, you're, there's there's these uh, this ability for the company itself to um, avoid the payroll taxes, which is not a huge amount, but you know, they're also deducting these amounts from their taxes, um, which is lo- uh, lowering their tax burden. So overall, you're getting a benefit to the company as well as Mr. Weisberg. How, like, usual would this type of alleged scheme be? And and how usual or unusual are charges like this from, from the tax experts you've talked to? We've seen it occasionally at the federal level where we've seen these charges related to perks and fringe benefits and um, lucrative luxury gift items, less so from state tax authorities. However, when you look at the evasion of payroll taxes and you look at the broader idea of an employee essentially using the company as a personal piggy bank, that's pretty common. So when we've been reporting, you know, that things are are less common or that there's not a huge amount of precedent for something like that. We're really talking about the fringe benefits focus on that. But the if you step back and you put aside what exactly were the items that were not being reported and you just think about the scheme itself, um, that is not terribly uncommon for prosecutors to charge people for, you know, failing to report um, income and, and, you know, kind of disguising it in different ways. Yeah. I mean, before we get into some of the deeper details of this, you've been covering this story for a long time. Like, what was your reaction? Were you surprised by the sort of limited nature of these charges? Is it, you know, is it something that you've been expecting in terms of the details of this indictment? I was surprised yesterday, actually, at the the level of detail that went into the alleged cover up of it. So, you know, I think we were in our reporting had been showing for weeks that it was going to be focused on the evasion of these taxes and that these payroll uh, tax evasion on the company's part. Um, so we weren't surprised that it was in that respect, it was narrow. What was surprising to me, though, was just how detailed the scheme was, um, where, you know, essentially what they're talking about, the, the prosecutors are saying is they, they kept these spreadsheets at the company, you know, acknowledging that these benefits were doled out. But then separately, they had the W-2s and other tax documents that didn't acknowledge those uh, benefits. Um, so it's not it's not exactly two separate sets of books, uh, but it is inconsistent records that were kept at the company. And that does sort of speak to whether or not there was an attempt to kind of uh, hide it from and there was some knowledge and intent. Um, and again, they're going to have to prove that at trial. We don't know that for sure. But when you when you have those sort of two separate conflicting sets of records and that level of detail, that that surprised me. Yeah, I found that interesting, too. And it and it struck me because some of these investigations really did start as civil inquiries. Um, but that intent is at the, the core, right, of a criminal indictment that you have to be able to show that it's not just, oh, we messed up. We didn't, you know, we wrote off something we shouldn't have. Like, those are pretty different questions, correct? That, that's exactly right. And they'll have to prove that Mr. Weisberg knew what he was doing. But one thing that they have in their uh, their arsenal here is that he was an accountant. Now, he's not a CPA, um, but he's somebody who's been a bookkeeper and an accountant essentially for decades. And he knows the Trump organization's finances in and out. He's worked for the Trump family for nearly a half a century. 
Um, if anyone should have known better, the government will argue it's somebody who is a fiduciary of the company and is the CFO of the company. Is it a publicly traded company? Is he a CPA? No, no. Okay. But at the same time, that he's been entrusted into this position, this position of trust, and someone like him should have known better is what they're going to argue. Obviously, um, without a cooperating witness, um, it's going to be more more difficult. And I'm sure his uh, defense lawyers, who are very capable, um, will try to poke holes in the government's case. But again, when you have two separate uh, sets of records and you have his position of trust, I think he faces an uphill battle. We are talking about the New York tax fraud charges against the Trump uh, organization with Ben Protest. He's investigative reporter with The New York Times. What are your reactions to or questions about these charges filed yesterday against the Trump organization and CFO Alan Weisselberg? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, you know, Ben, we've been talking about Alan Weisselberg, and I would love for you, I know you've reported on him a bunch, too. Give us a sense. Who is this man? What's his relationship with the organization and Trump himself? Something we've been trying to unpack, and and the reason we've been trying to unpack it is because it goes directly to the heart of this major question, will he cooperate? And so for months and months, you know, our reporting has shown um, that the um, you know prosecutors have sought his cooperation with the broader investigation into Mr. Trump and into the company, and he's resisted them um, pretty much at every turn. And so here we are, and now he's um, facing prison time, and and so the leverage that they possess over him is even is even stronger. Um, so we'll have to see what he does. But in answering the question of like who he is, it, it sort of raises these larger questions of why he hasn't cooperated. Listen, he's worked for the family since 1973. He started, um, you know, pretty much soon out of college, you know, after working as a teacher and doing some other jobs, he started working for Fred Trump, Donald's father. And then he started working for Donald on nights and weekends. And then he kind of gradually shifted over to Donald's company, the Trump organization. So over time, you know, he became uh, this extension of the Trump family. Are they the best of friends? Are they extremely tight knit? No, I, you know, I, we haven't seen any suggestion that they're uh, extremely close in, in a personal way. But when you know somebody and work with somebody for f- essentially 48 years, uh, you develop a closeness to them. And, you know, Alan himself um, always lived modestly. He lived in Long Island in a fairly modest home. Um, and then in recent years, you know, he his kids grew up and uh, he started enjoying some of the more perks, I think, of the of the Trump uh, lifestyle and lived rent free in a Trump building, a Trump branded building, I should say, in in Manhattan. Moved into the city, and um, you know enjoyed the the perks of the Mercedes Benzes. His wife had a, a Mercedes as well, um, and so I think we start to see some questions about uh, whether or not he started enjoying that lifestyle, and it, and it kind of got away from him a little bit. Yeah, and uh, I, I, part of the indictment, right, is also that he didn't claim that he had moved to New York City, so he was escaping those likely higher income taxes there. As, as someone who has lived in New York City, I can tell you that it, it's there's you know there there is an extra surcharge there of living in New York City, and so there is a benefit to um, to pretending to continue to live somewhere else. Now, there's some questions, and again, the government's going to have to prove their case, and if he continued to pay property taxes in Long Island and he still held that home, maybe he can argue that actually I never officially lived in uh, New York, but that that building that he moved into 
if he lived there all the time and he didn't need it as a corporate apartment, this is somewhere he just liked to live. It happened to be in a Trump building and he lived there rent free because the Trump organization paid for it. Uh, that's almost certainly something that would normally need to be disclosed as income. And, and he just didn't. I have a tweet from a listener, Michael, who asks, my understanding is that it's possible to give gifts to employees provided they meet certain requirements. Does New York tax law mirror U.S. tax law regarding gifts to employees? Yeah. So the answer is it, it does mirror. Um, there, there is IRS guidance on this issue uh, and the tax the laws in the state would typically flow from that. Uh, the, that's correct. Uh, there are exceptions. There are de minimis uh, exceptions. Um, you know, if you give your employee, let's say, you know, um, a scarf at Christmas time, I don't think a bottle of wine, maybe (laughs) any, yeah, a bottle of wine, no one's coming after you, you know, you, you give, give, um, uh, the doorman a Christmas tip, something like that. Nobody's coming after you or the, or the doorman. When it comes down to though, what we're talking about here is over the course of 15 years, cars and we're not talking just cars we're talking mercedes and and we're not talking just for him we're talking for his wife and the rent-free apartment and in manhattan real estate that's a big deal okay. um and when you add in that plus the tuition for his uh grandchildren that was paid for directly by mr trump not just the company that was out of mr trump's personal account um we're talking a significant amount of money uh the government alleges that it was 1.7 million dollars um that went unreported. And then essentially what that adds up to is about $900,000 in taxes evaded. Plus he got, uh, you know, tax returns, uh, uh, refunds. So, which they're saying essentially he, he stole, they charged him with grand larceny. So when you, this isn't the occasional, you know, um, run of the mill thing that just uh, happened uh, once or twice. It's yes, the run of the mill perks, but it was in a widespread, uh, you know, sort of more uh, sweeping way. Right. And this is a person whose salary is approaching a million dollars a year. So presumably he could afford to pay rent or <laughs> house himself. Correct. His salary uh, increased uh, when Mr. Trump went into the White House. He essentially took over the company along with um, Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr. And uh, what ended up happening is he got a salary raise all the way up to about a million bucks. Wow. We are talking about the tax fraud charges filed yesterday by the New York District Attorney and Attorney General against the Trump Organization and Executive Alan Weisselberg with Ben Protest, investigative reporter at the New York Times. Uh, Give us a call if you want to weigh in on this. We're at 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum. We'll be right back after this. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. In today from Mina Kim, I'm talking with Ben Protest, investigative reporter at The New York Times, who has been spending a lot of time digging into investigations into former President Donald Trump, uh, culminating yesterday with the indictment of his organization and his CFO. Let's talk about what's ahead. I mean, we have the Manhattan General Counsel, Ben, calling this a sweeping and audacious illegal payment scheme. We have Trump and his allies calling it as per usual, a witch hunt. Um, And I I feel like there's a lot of speculation that this is not the end of this investigation. What's your sense having been following this for so long? Absolutely. Our reporting shows that it is not the end, that it's um, full steam ahead. Uh, The grand jury that is hearing this is a special grand jury. It sits until November. It could be extended beyond that, but it sits at least until November. Um, It meets, you know, regularly uh, three days a week. And the Trump case is is heard as one of the other cases the grand jury is hearing. So there's no sign of of stopping. And, you know, if you look, once you get the CFO um, and you get the company itself, you turn around and there's pretty much not much left except the CEO, which would have been Mr. Trump. Um, and so that seems to be the focus at this point is is linking Mr. Trump to any of the illegality. And that's going to require proving his knowledge and his intent uh, with regard to the allegations yesterday and potentially some of the broader uh, areas of focus for them in the in the wider investigation. I mean, this started out with an examination of hush money payments during the 2016 presidential campaign. Um, there's been, I think, questions about, you know, his taxes. <laughs> the, the the DA just got a hold of those a few months ago. Um, it, is it fair to, I mean, it does seem like, as you've pointed out in your reporting, that some of this may not always rise to the level, level of criminal charges. I mean, is there any fairness to the idea that this is a politically motivated investigation? Like, would this have happened if he hadn't been president? Uh, I think the question is, would it have, you know, happened um, if he hadn't hidden his taxes for for so many <laughs> years? I think, you know, would a random citizen um, had an investigation of this nature? Well, maybe not. Would a, would a you know, corporation, uh, would a company that, um, you know, has a billionaire for a CEO or self-described billionaire for a CEO, uh, potentially, and uh, especially if it's someone who has made such a fuss over the years about hiding their finances. So um, we've seen no indication that there's any political uh, motive driving the district attorney's investigation. Uh, the district attorney is a Democrat, uh, so that's the way it works in New York City. They're elected. Um but, um, you know, the district attorney did not was not seeking reelection. Uh, and we anticipate that there will be a new D.A. Uh, uh, announced probably, you know, in the next uh, few few hours or days. And so I think that, um, you know, it, it, this wasn't something for political gain, as far as we can tell. Uh, the question then becomes, OK, once the D.A. Cyrus Vance moves on, uh, there will be a new D.A. Will there be any change from what we can tell in the rhetoric on the campaign? The answer is no. It'll be full steam ahead. Yeah. I mean, what about the flip side of this? Does this show some weaknesses in our ability to prosecute, you know, or, or even investigate potential tax cheats, given that it took his presidency and sort of all of the the allegations that have come out through the Michael Cohen case and others to really launch this. I mean, are, are, I don't know how many have you had conversations around that? Like, are we not really, in, you know, essentially uh, enforcing tax laws to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, a, a lot of times it is true that, you know, as we talked about earlier, there 
isn't a great exact precedent, modern day precedent for what they're doing related to the fringe uh, benefits or the the perks. But again, they they do bring these cases um, of cheating uh, and using the company as a piggy bank. Uh, you know, from time to time, they've had some famous cases like this. Um, you know, typically against publicly traded companies, but not always. And so. I think it does raise these questions of like, you know, if the state is doing this occasionally, what, what is the IRS doing? And I think it's well known that the IRS is a little bit of a black box. People don't always know, you know, which cases garner the IRS's attention and um, the IRS is underfunded, you know, for for decades and their enforcement efforts are underfunded um, is something that's been a political issue for, for many years. So I think that to the extent that this is something that's being, you know, surfaced now in this investigation um, doesn't mean it can't again uh, result in another investigation and t- some totally separate incident. But um, I think that it does sort of highlight that this is um, that this is something that is, as alleged, is problematic and potentially criminal. Yeah. And I mean, we know that's actually part of, I think, this infrastructure deal, right, is helping the IRS go after more people. Exactly. Maybe maybe this will help. (laughs) Um, Well, let's talk about, I mean, as we've said, there's thoughts that there that this is not sort of the end of the road. Um, one thing I know you've reported on is the potential of the Manhattan DA looking at whether the Trump org manipulated property values to obtain loan and benefits. Explain what that's about. What what sure. other financial crimes are we talking about here potentially? Sure. So imagine you have two separate sets of books, and you take one set of books and you give it to your your bank, your lender, and you say. I'm doing great and I have, I'm worth $6 billion and this property is, you know, occupied at 90%. We're, we're just, we're doing great gangbusters. And so please give me another loan and give me a, a very fair interest rate. And then imagine you have a separate set of books that you give the New York City uh, Department of Taxation and you cry, you know, poor to them. And you say, well, actually this building's, you know, 70% occupied and we're having a really hard time. Um, you know, trying to sort out uh, our finances. And so if you have essentially two separate set of books and you're manipulating the property values to get your loans the way you want them and to get your taxes uh, down the way you want them, then you could argue that there's either a sort of loan related fraud or that there's a tax fraud in that uh, in that strategy. Now, they can't really bring that case, um, as far as we can tell, without proving criminal intent. You would need to show that there wasn't just some reasonable reason to have a different, you know, valuation on different properties. Uh, there are different quirks in the valuation process. There are mitigating factors, um, no doubt. The question becomes, did they set out to manipulate the property values? Michael Cohen has said that they have. Um, the question is, can they find a reliable witness who was inside the company at the time with Donald Trump and, and Alan Weisberg would potentially be that witness if he was witness to something like that. And then the question is from there, can they prove intent? And it's very hard to do that without a cooperating witness. Um, it just strikes me as like, you know, you see, you know, people buying a million dollar homes and having appraisals be different and, you know, people being investigated by the IRS who make maybe under a hundred thousand dollars a year, just like how wild it could be that, you know, if the, if these charges are true, that something like that could go on for 15 years and such a huge corporation. Um, I want to bring in caller Amy from Santa Rosa. Amy, welcome to forum. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So first of all, I want to completely agree that, you know, the irony of people being audited who are just normal people and 
you know, people who are really large scale tax sheets getting away with it, either because they're not investigated or because they can fight an investigation. I completely agree with that. But I had a really specific question, which is this issue of uh, Mr. Trump, President Trump, uh, paying for his his grandchildren's tuition directly and that being sort of scandalous. But I thought that uh, paying for tuition directly to any school was actually a ta- was tax free. That's just a normal thing. So I'm I'd be curious about your expert if they know anything about that. <laughs> it's a really yeah, it's a really smart observation. Um, so there's two ways that you can avoid it through taxation is avoid taxation on it. One is to um, pay for your uh, set up a 529 and pay for your uh, own children or your own family's education. The other way is to give it as a gift. It is a, you're right. It's exempt from the gift tax. So if Alan Weisselberg and Donald Trump were just personal friends, um, Donald Trump could pay Alan Weisselberg's uh, children or grandchildren's school tuition. Uh, however, they're not just friends. And we don't even know how good of a friends they really are. Uh, it's an employer-employee relationship. And when you have an employer-employee relationship, there is a specific caveat to that exemption that says, you know, employer-employee relationship is exempt from the gift tax carve-out. So um, it's a slightly complicated way of answering the question, but but it's a great it's a great thought, and it just doesn't necessarily apply in this situation because he had worked for Mr. Trump for for nearly fifty years. Ben, who did you did you know when you took this job that you were going to be such an expert in U.S. tax law? No, and I don't necessarily care to be, but it, it's <laughs> it's certainly um, it's certainly been a crash course in all the different rules uh, surrounding these types of perks. Well, we're going to let you go in just a minute. I just want to ask finally, um, kind of what's next? I mean, we talked about the potential for longer term stuff, but in the short term, what are you going to be following and watching for in the coming days and weeks? We want to know who's going to the grand jury. I think the grand jury probably won't sit for next week for the holiday. And then we're going to want to know who's going into the grand jury. And we're going to want to know uh, there was an unindicted co-conspirator uh, in the in the indictment yesterday. And so we want to know kind of more about what they're alleging and more about, you know, where this could lead uh, ultimately. And again, the question where it ultimately leads, this is the key. This is the key item. Who if anyone will cooperate against Donald Trump, if they cannot secure that cooperation, does the investigation stop here? And if they do secure that cooperation, uh, it's going to be only a matter of time before there are more charges in this case. But it's going to be a it's going to be a steep hill to climb in terms of securing cooperation of someone around uh, Mr. Trump who demands loyalty from his employees. All right. Well, we will keep watching your reporting. This has been protest investigative reporter for The New York Times. Thank you for your time and for all your work on this. Thanks so much. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.